This is CliffCentral.com. Please note that the views expressed and the advice provided in this show are for general advice and entertainment purposes only. Nothing stated should be treated as a substitute for your own independent legal advice based on your own specific facts and objectives. Therefore, the presenter and CliffCentral.com accept no liability of any nature whatsoever, either expressed or implied. Law, like you've never heard it before. The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg on CliffCentral.com. I'm Gary Hertzberg and this is The Laws of Life on CliffCentral.com. On today's shows, we are tackling road traffic issues. And uh, joining us is special guest, Howard Dembowski, who is the founder of the Justice Project South Africa. Welcome to you, Howard. Thanks very much, Gary. It's a pleasure to be here, and uh, let's hope we can clear up some issues for the listeners. Yeah, Howard's the man who claims to know more about road traffic matters than the Minister of Transport. Welcome again. Claims to. Yes, I, Do you? Yes, I also don't, don't claim to be a politician, not a priest. I'm neither. So uh, what we've done today, Howard, we've uh, extracted a whole lot of questions that have been posted by members of Legal Talk South Africa, with whom we've teamed up. Uh, the founder there is Ray Green, and with their Facebook membership of about 124,000 plus, um, we're going to pull those questions. We're going to deal with them, you and I. So let me give you an idea of what it's all about. Um, I received one of the questions posted. I received a fine from a traffic officer, even though I gave him my license card and spelt my address to him by letter, letter by letter. He still wrote down the wrong surname and ID number. Is the fine still valid? We'll talk about all that. Hold it for a moment. One of the other questions, the Port Elizabeth Traffic Department have instituted a ghost squad. It's undercover with unmarked foxy uh, VW Golfs driving around randomly, pulling people off the road. They want to know if it's legal, and I can see you twitching and you're getting a bit red in the face. Is it dangerous for women, one of them asks. We'll deal with that, Howard. Another one is, I live in a boomed-off area in a very quiet cul-de-sac. Is it illegal to kick a ball in the road with my son? And uh, my neighbor has an issue with this one that the, the poster says. And uh, they came and took pictures of her children, which I'm not too keen on. So um, we're going to deal with those in detail. Let's just give out our details of um, Cliff Central. We are law, L-A-W, at cliffcentral.com. Our Facebook page, The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg. And our Twitter handle, at Hertz Law, H-E-R-T-Z-L-A-W. Are you looking forward to this one, Howard? Always. <laughs> okay. Uh, he's the man feared by every traffic department in the country. Howard Dembowski's taken, I don't know, you've been in more court cases than I have. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true, Gary. <laughs> okay. Let's take one of them. The first one, Howard, it comes from Marion. She writes, uh, the, as I said earlier, the Port Elizabeth Traffic Department have got this ghost squad and they're moving around in unmarked uh, cars, pulling people off the road. Is it legal and how dangerous is it for women? She says, what about for men or for children or for anyone? Well, absolutely. Yeah. Firstly, let, let's just um, be clear. 
that this idea of unmarked traffic policing cars is not unique to Port Elizabeth. It is something that's practiced throughout the whole of South Africa, but by special permission from the Director of Public Prosecutions for the particular province concerned. And the reason for that is that, you know, generally one should know that it is a traffic law enforcement vehicle that, that's uh, on your backside if uh, there is one. Mm. And um, I, I would suggest that the directors of public prosecutions in the various provinces have lost touch with reality. And the reason I say that is it wasn't that long ago, it was a couple of weeks ago, at the very most a month ago, that a young lady was stopped by two alleged JMPD officers in an unmarked motor vehicle in um, in Fairland and was raped by the, those individuals. Mm. And there have been repeated cases of bogus police. Buying blue lights for your vehicle is as easy as walking into a flea market. Mm. Um, if you want the better quality stuff, then you have to go to more specialized places. But you can get those blue lights. Absolutely no problem, no identification required, etc. And it's highly insensitive of the directors of public prosecutions to bury their heads in the sand mm. and say that this bogus police issue isn't real. It is very, very real. So much so that in 2013, the RTMC and Justice Project South Africa got together and put together something called the Blue Light Protocol, which was aimed at advising people what to do if an unmarked vehicle was trying to pull you over with blue flashing lights. Mm. And it went into a number of, of, of different procedures that you should follow, including not stopping Slowing down to a speed of 40 kilometers an hour, gest gesturing to them to follow you, etc. But unfortunately, our friends at the RTMC, being the kinds of friends that they are, did not actually communicate that to SAPS or to the traffic uh, departments. And as a result, you see people actually taking that advice, slowing down gesturing to them to um, follow them. And the next thing, the cops open fire on them. Or when they get to the police station, they, they jump out and, and beat the living daylights out of these people. Now, that is just not a, a conducive situation to law enforcement and, I might say, is actually enabling hijacking and uh, bogus police. So it's time that our uh, people who sit in ivory towers actually grew up Mm -hmm. and realize that this is a very real problem if you don't take decisive action in order to prevent this kind of thing from happening, it's going to happen. But here's another thing. The unmarked provincial traffic police cars with speed measuring equipment in them, they are, they're not Foxies, by the way. <laughs> That's the first time I've heard of them referred to as Foxies. Um, they're VW Golf GTIs. Yes. Okay, those things but are... But they're Foxies, are, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. They're, they're actually like um, the proverbial of a shovel. Those things are quite quick. Yes. But in any event, what these guys do is they tend to actually goad people into, into speeding by pulling up to their rear end, pulling back, pulling up to their rear end, pulling back. Mm -hmm. People see this in their rearview mirrors and say to themselves, oh God, uh, I've got hijackers on, on my backside. It doesn't matter that these people are wearing uniforms inside a vehicle. I don't need to tell you that your windscreen is reflective. You can't see inside mm -hmm. that vehicle. So um, as, as I said, come 
Directors of Public Prosecutions, shall I name a few? Tom Decker, uh, who's the DPP for, for Johannesburg. Um, George Beloy, who's the DPP for, uh, for, for Pretoria. Uh, Christina van der, uh, sorry, van der who's the DPP for Cape Town. Come, let's, let's get sensible now. Let's withdraw these uh, authorizations and let's have proper, visible traffic law enforcement. You know, nothing beats it. Yeah, absolutely. Vilma Potgieter wrote, she said, if it does happen to you, give hand signals for them to follow you to the nearest police station. Exactly. Is, is that a possibility? Said, that, I mean, is that, that what they should do in PE right now? That was part of, oh. of our blue light protocol. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, the fact is, yes, you can do that, but you do risk getting beaten up or shot at. By these people mm. And um, you, you know with, with due respect Look uh, I certainly Would not stop For any vehicle That's unmarked That's got blue flashing lights And I'd be very cautious About stopping For one That is marked Actually Given the fact That whole Bogus police cars Are up for hire And it's been exposed In the media um, So what's the answer Howard The, yeah. the answer is yeah. Firstly Don't like Drive like a doer that, 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 that's the first thing. Mm-hmm. Obey the speed limits. Obey road traffic signs. And that way you'll be sure that you haven't committed a road traffic offense. Mm-hmm. Okay. If suddenly now someone's uh, starting to try and pull you over and you do feel uncomfortable, obviously getting raped is not an option for, for a, a lady, mm-hmm. uh, sure. plain and mm-hmm. simple. Mm-hmm. You know what? Drive to the closest police station, but do so slowly. Don't, for goodness sake, speed away. Put your yeah. foot flat yeah. Yeah. and and think uh. that legitimate cops won't think that you are now a criminal trying to evade them. Let's take another one. Comes from Renee. She says, "I received a fine by a traffic officer with a camera on a national road. The officer wrote the surname and ID number incorrectly, although I gave him my." License card. I spelt my address to him letter by letter, and it's also incorrect. Is the fine still valid? Well, let's clear up one thing first. Cameras don't uh, measure speed. Speed measuring equipment measures speed. And sometimes a camera is attached to that. Mm. Now, if there was a camera attached to this particular speed measuring equipment, then there would presumably be a video or a photograph of that particular vehicle which would accompany that particular section 56 written notice to appear in court however if all of the particulars on that notice are incorrect then don't just leave it and say it's incorrect they'll never be able to trace me uh, like I've seen some of the advice says oh they're not going to be able to trace you ignore it One of these days, you're you're driving along on holiday, and in at at the most inopportune time, there's a roadblock, and a warrant for your arrest has been issued because the court has condoned those in uh, in because they have your registration number. Is that what you say? That's what I'm saying. And they pick that up, uh, pick that off the uh, e-natus system. That is correct. So whether it's incorrect on the traffic ticket doesn't mean a damn. They can get the right information off the. Well, Gary, you're an attorney. I don't yeah. need to tell you that, that a legal document must be 100% accurate and is not allowed to con- contain any alterations. But unfortunately, when we talk about 
road traffic law yes. and yes. when we talk about law. Yeah, completely different. They are completely different issues, yeah. and we should never actually tag the word law onto road traffic. So the advice we're giving Rene now is don't neglect this, even though the information's incorrect. Take yeah. that particular summons yes. to the public prosecutor or preferably the senior public prosecutor at the magistrate's court that's yes. cited on on that summons. Go to that uh, that uh, uh, that public prosecutor and say to them, this is a defective notice. Um, what are you going to do about it? And I can tell you now, 99.999% of the time, that prosecutor is going to, to withdraw. withdraw the matter. Most people who responded to Renee said, ignore the darn thing. They'll That's never find you. Yeah. yeah look. This is the this Gary. Is, yeah, this is the public's perception of this. This yeah. is a, the the problem and and it's something that that I find myself constantly battling with. Yeah. And that is that we have an enormous volume of arms, uh, armchair experts. Yeah. Who I can give you advice if I don't know you from a bar of soap. Mm. And what's what impact is it going to have on my life if mm. things go wrong? The fact is, you know what? Traffic fines, just like any other legal matter, if you ignore them, chances are they could go south or pear-shaped. If you don't ignore them and if you deal with them, then chances are that you could actually deal with it in a satisfactory manner to yourself yes. first and foremost. Here comes another one similar, how it comes from Rene as well, but not the same Rene. I have both surnames. This Rene says, I missed a court date for a summons that's in Petra Tiff, Mpumalanga, for a traffic fine and have no way of getting there. So she says, and then she explains, I was stopped and given the fine, but I didn't sign for it. I don't think that matters a damn. Uh, I'm meant to be in court today, so I assume a warrant has not yet been issued. She's like, what should I do kind of thing? I mean, for goodness sake. Well, it's yeah. very simple. Yeah. You can't turn around and say, I had no way of getting there after the fact. You could turn around to the public prosecutor prior to the court date and say, I don't have a means to get here, in which case the court will pay your travel expenses. By train, they give you a certain... Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, don't don't come with this, oh, I can't get there nonsense. Sorry, let me just clear that up. If you don't have the wherewithal to get to court, yeah. can you apply and the court will pay your... Transport. It'll pay your transport. But it's not going to pay okay. fancy transport. No. It's going to pay an airfare to Cape Town. It, it's going to if you have to go from Joburg to Pretoria, yes. they will pay for you to go on Metro Rail, not on the Gauteng train. No. So please don't be under any illusion that yeah. you're going to get a trip, a free trip on the well, Gauteng train. Well, how do they do it? Do okay. they send you the but, money? They put it into your bank account? No. Yeah, how does it work? Huh? <laughs> well, the fact is that the court actually reimburses you, so no, they really? expect you to borrow it. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, you know, there is another way of achieving that purpose and I'm going to sound awfully sarcastic here yeah. they could always send a police vehicle to chuck you in the back of and drive <laughs> you to court. Which is what they will do at some point. Exactly yeah. once a warrant for your arrest has been issued, that's yeah. a serious matter Gary. Yeah. The fact is that the majority of warrants of arrest for road traffic matters that I've seen executed are executed after 4 o'clock on a Friday afternoon so guess what they lock you up for the weekend. That's it. Yeah. And uh, the, the sad part of that is because it's on a warrant, yes. there is no question of you being released prior to appearing before that magistrate. And let's just clear something up about warrants of arrest yeah. under or in terms of uh, road traffic prosecutions. 
when a warrant for your arrest has been issued, it's been issued for contempt of court. Mm. It has not been issued because you have found been found guilty in absentia, or that you exceeded the, the speed limit, or whatever. It's only because you it, didn't come to court. Yeah. Our constitution does not uh, uh, allow for a trial to be concluded in the uh, absence of of the person who is actually uh, the accused. But contempt of court is a serious matter. And I might tell you, and people need to bear this in mind, it's a criminal matter. You can get a criminal record for it. So if you... (laughs) can't attend court on a particular court date, then make sure that you make arrangements up front with the prosecutor with the prosecutor, oh. so that that prosecutor may say to the magistrate this person was unable to attend, it was prearranged the magistrate doesn't have a hissy fit yeah. but you can but imagine he, he being issues a, a warrant doesn't he, which, no. is, uh, which is stayed or suspended or what is no. it, do they just postpone no, if, if, if the matter has been prearranged and, and postponed mm. um, very simple there is no such thing of it even being on the court roll. So uh, it probably wouldn't even go before the magistrate. Yeah. I've heard people saying, I've made an arrangement with the prosecutor and he and he, you know, he didn't stick to it. And the next thing it was a warrant. Be very careful with that. In you, writing. Yeah, everything. Absolutely. In writing. Absolutely. Make sure it's confirmed by email or something that uh, he agreed to postpone it or whatever in yes. your absence. Look, it's not going to yeah. help you much when, when you're driving along and you're suddenly arrested at 4 o'clock on a Friday afternoon. Anyone that has a warrant for their arrest because they didn't attend and they're kind of hoping it will go away, what should they do about it? Stop hoping it's going to go away. It's not. Yeah. You're going to p- get picked up at a roadblock. The fact is that, yeah. that our traffic authorities have hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of warrants of arrest because they don't comply. With the conditions of those warrants of arrest That warrant of arrest says Go to Gary's house and arrest him Yes What they do is They say, ooh, that's too much effort We'll wait for him We'll we'll set up a roadblock Mm. uh, On the R21 um, On a weekday For two and a half hours While people are trying to drive to the airport And we'll delay all of them And we'll arrest a a princely sum of 16 people Whilst we've inconvenienced 10,000 motorists (laughs) That doesn't matter But these traffic authorities in this country are lazy They do not execute those warrants of arrest But, you know, Murphy is uh, one of those horrible sods That will come up and slap you behind the ears Yeah at the most inopportune time. So the advice is get to that court immediately and get to that sort court it out as the, quickly as possible. Yep. Go and sort it out. Yep. Um, you can walk in. You can ask the public prosecutor to put it on the roll immediately. Mm-hmm. And you'll pay. You'll pay your. You're fine for not appearing in court plus um, Well, uh, if you had a valid excuse You yeah, may not necessarily absolutely. be held to that Maybe fine not. So The other uh, doctor's certificate you know, so, yeah. yeah, exactly yeah. I was lying in hospital And both my legs were chopped off Is, is pretty much a, a valid excuse It's it's not a fait accompli That just because a fine has been issued against you You're necessarily guilty That's not how our criminal justice system works in South Africa This one gets you going a bit, Howard I live in a boomed-off area in a very quiet cul-de-sac Is it illegal? This comes from Jonathan in Randburg Is it illegal to kick a ball in the road with my son? I... uh He says that uh, my neighbors are a problem here They've... They say they're going to get me... uh Stopped and they're going to use the bylaws against me. And they came out today and took photos of my kids. They said this was for evidence. Is there anything they can do? Ask also, are they allowed to take photos of my kids? What do you think? 
We can leave the kids for a moment. We'll come to uh, playing. Uh, what about in the township? Don't kids play in the township? The, the, Football, the, the, isn't that a way of life uh, in a I, quieter street? I'm actually quite grateful yeah. that I didn't yeah. answer that in writing because yeah. if I'd done so on the spur of the moment, I would have said it's a, it's a great pity that being stupid is not a crime because you should be locked up. Yeah. Okay, and the reason that you should be locked up yeah. is that you as a responsible adult should know that there are things called playgrounds and there are things called roads. Roads are for motor vehicles. Playgrounds are for children to kick balls around in. Okay? And quite frankly, sir, stand still and I'll come kick you in the balls. Because you are stupid to even think that your child is going to live, grow up, and spend the rest of their natural life in your boomed-off area. At some stage... They are going to go and visit a friend who doesn't live in, in yeah. that Boomdorf area, yeah. and they're going to go and play football in the middle of on Decker's Road with an 80-kilometer-an-hour speed limit, and uh, it's a dual carriageway with two lanes in each direction, and they're going to get flattened. And then guess who you're going to blame? Because you're a prick. You are going to blame the person who was driving the vehicle. You're not going to blame yourself for teaching your kid that the place to play is in the road. It is not in the road. Let's not talk about townships and, and kids playing um, soccer in the streets, in, in townships. You know what? That can be prevented with proper adult supervision as well. And it is in a lot of instances. You know, let's not cast stereotypes here. Um, it's, it's just like these uh, residential communities and their gated communities who think that they can impose their own speed limits and start enforcing road traffic laws. There's one in Pretoria, a very big one, mm. that imposes a fine of 250 rand for driving Drunk yeah, on the, their roads. In the estate. In their estate. Oh. Those roads are... That's not a public road. They are public roads. Within it, the estate. Every single road to which the public has access is a public road. So guess what all you people with your hoity-toity, <laughs> fancy, schmancy attitudes of... We've got private roads. We can put up our own speed signs. We can do this. We can do that. And we can get a traffic offer, uh, sorry, a security guard to come and stop people and demand to see their driving licenses and take them to task in terms of the National Road Traffic Act. Yeah, you, you want to know something? In order to qualify as a traffic officer now, you have to spend three years in college. Not three days in a security officer's training course. Or, in some cases, three hours. The fact is that these people need to grow up. If, if you want to create safe environments in, within your, um, your housing communities, then do so. There are a plethora of different traffic calming measures that you can uh, actually install. People always talk about speed humps and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. They fail to, to talk about things like um, single direction um, crossings in a, in, in a single road. So, in other words, when you approach it, you've either got to give way to me or crash into me head on. 
and vice versa. They don't talk about uh, raised intersections, which in Milnerton have reduced for, uh, crashes, actually, not even fatalities, crashes on one particular public road there over a period of 18 months from several tens of multiples to zero. The fact is that you cannot, in terms of the law, enforce those laws, but similarly, you can't make rules that are inconsistent with the rest of, of, of legislation. And if you want to do that, then may I suggest that you call your complex Oranya. <laughs> Howard, let's talk about taking pictures of the children playing soccer. I mean, if it's for evidentiary um, material matter, then it's in order. Absolutely. Uh, the Criminal Procedure Act is very clear on this one, that any person who takes images for any purpose not related to the detection of crime or the investigation of an offense is guilty of an offense uh-uh. and liable on conviction to a period not exceeding 15 years. So if you're taking it... Of for, a crime scene. Yeah. Okay, a crime scene. Well, let's, for let's, de- no, let, detection of a crime. No, let, so, I mean, it is, if it. you're taking pictures of kids playing in the street... There's a crime happening there. No they, doubt about it. He's entitled to take pictures. There were, the reason Gary, we're raising this, Howard, there were literally dozens and dozens of replies yep. to this Boomdorf area yep. incident of, of people taking pictures of your kids playing soccer. Yep. And people were going crazy about how dare they take pictures of my kids, you know, that kind of thing. But if, they, if they're breaking the law, I guess you can use that, take the pictures and use it for evidence. I think we also have to look yeah. at decided cases mm-hmm. um, regarding privacy where it's it's been repeatedly decided in in the, in the high court that when you are out in public you have no reasonable expectation of privacy so therefore anyone may take your photograph of you doing anything well i wouldn't like pictures people taking pictures of my kids sitting anywhere just for the sake of it i'm i'm, I'm you know we would all be rebellious there and we would have the right to i think to. i but think Howard, let's not go there let's yeah. move on to uh, because you were talking about estates so here's one for you. It comes from Penny. This is going to get your blood boiling, She's, which everything does really to do with traffic. <laughs> she says, Penny, please advise the legality of security guards uh, in, in estates asking for driver's licenses. And also it applies to business premises when they scan your, your, your license. How do you feel about that? I have a huge problem with it, as do a lot of my colleagues in law enforcement um, and in in the no, isn't there? Um, sorry, if I can give you the back the, the backwards or the back end of this, if the, if you don't give it to them, they don't let you in. Yeah, which they ha- actually have no right to do, by the way. But uh, of course, your your homeowners associations make up these rules yeah. that you uh, allegedly agree to on the basis of a sign at the gate that says, "I agree to the rules." Uh, but business parks as seen. well. Business okay. parks don't let you in unless you get m- many of them. I agree. Yeah. And, and it's going to turn around and bite these security companies, housing estates, business parks, etc., right where it hurts <laughs> um, very, very shortly. Why is that? The Protection of Personal Information Act uh, poppy, is, is yeah. not a um, an insignificant piece of legislation. Mm. And yes, they may ask me who I am and who I'm coming to visit. But the second that they need to know that expires, then they must destroy my information. 
what these companies are doing, and this will probably put the, the screaming heebjeebs of people. And me. Yeah. Are they keeping my information? They are not only keeping it, but they're uploading it to the cloud, which is probably one of the least secure environments that you could wish uh, to come across. And I've dealt with numerous matters, the worst of which was where a lady who was a proxy for a car hire company went to go license uh, a vehicle and got told by the licensing department, but you don't own the vehicle anymore. The company doesn't own the vehicle anymore. And after passing this matter on to the RTMC's anti-corruption unit, we discovered that not only was the vehicle transferred out of that company's name, but... In addition to that, seven other motor vehicles were registered and licensed on the identical oh, really? particulars. Yeah. Okay, so they were literally clones mm. of, of that vehicle. It's very, very dangerous. And, and I wish that these housing estates would become more sensitive to this kind of issue. You know what? If somebody's going to commit a crime within your residential uh, community, they're going to do it with false documentation. Anyway, anyway, okay. Absolutely. So the fact yeah. is, uh, and, and in fact, yeah. um, a lot of the incidents that have occurred, especially the particularly gory ones, mm. have not resulted out of people coming to visit those estates. They've resulted out of people who are actually resident in those estates. Or building within the estate, yeah. No, they're resident in the, those mm. estates. There, mm. there was one in Pretoria where BMW X5 was used. Um, in the commission of a house robbery and murders. And um, there was no record of that vehicle coming or going from the estate. Let's move, Howard. We've got so many questions. Pelesa says, I'm stuck in traffic on the N14, and one guy just drove into my car because my car is black. He couldn't see it. My next car will be neon green, she says. Uh, is there any truth, Howard, in black cars? Being more likely to be involved in crashes. Silver cars, car. uh, silver cars, black cars, uh, any, any of these any cars co- that they car. camouflage themselves into um, into the the roadway. Um, traffic officers' uniform, the, the cam- camel-coloured traffic officers' uniform that yeah. the provincial cops wear. Yeah. It's all camouflage on 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 the roads. The f- I love the idea of a neon green. Uh, car, great idea, but that's not going to help you yeah. if the plonker behind you <laughs> happens to be looking somewhere other than the road, because this is what happens, particularly in traffic, where someone gets distracted, they're busy messing around on their cell phone, they're checking their Facebook status, and they want to see how many likes they've got, and <laughs> all that kind of nonsense, uh, and um, the next thing they do, they're up your behind. Now that kind of thing. High-speed collisions, yes, definitely the color of your vehicle does make a a big difference to visibility. But in in heavy traffic, I don't think so. What about CJ Richter? He says, I would like to find out if it's legal to text or change a song on your cell phone when at a red light or in stationary traffic. The National Road Traffic Act actually prohibits the operation of any handheld cellular device or communications device um, whilst driving. What it doesn't do is define what the word driving means. So to some people, when I'm standing still at the the, uh, traffic lights, that's not driving. And you know what? 
if they're driving one of these blue motion type motor vehicles that switch off at the traffic lights, they probably aren't driving, actually, yeah, if what, you think about it. What about it? A, a kit, um, one of these cell phone kits? You're well, not holding it, really. Well, you know, if you, if you have a look at the, the Bluetooth kits that, that um, yeah, yeah. are relatively cheap to install in vehicles, if you've got to talk on a cell phone while you're driving, yeah. okay, that's the way to go. But there's, to my knowledge, nothing that allows you to text um, whilst you're driving uh, using voice commands. I suppose there are fancy devices that allow you to do that. But just remember this. When you are driving, particularly at speed, you are covering distance over time. Generally, it takes around about three seconds to, to lift up your cell phone, have a look at read and comprehend the text message. Okay, if you're driving on a freeway at 120 uh, kilometers an hour, you're covering 22.3 meters a second, which means that by the time you look up again, you've traveled nearly 70 meters. Yeah, straight into somebody else or into a pedestrian or or, or into a pedestrian that shouldn't be crossing the freeway in the first place. But hey, you know, we don't enforce those kind of laws. Let's talk about Kevin's posting. He says he's from Cape Town. He says, I received a speeding fine the other day, 80 in a 60 zone. My problem is I got stung for 600, whereas my wife received a fine six months ago in the same place doing the same speed. And her fine was only 150. Uh, is there anything I can do to get it reduced? A, and uh, aren't traffic fines supposed to be kind of even? So mm. he says. Well, the latter part of that is that the ARTA Act was supposed to achieve that. There was supposed to be a standard prescribed fine for standard prescribed offenses. Um, and that's what Schedule 3 is all about. Um but as we all know, the Arta Act was enacted in, in 1998. It's been in operation in Johannesburg and Swanee for nine whole years. Is it now. working, Howard? It's working, uh, about as well as a chair with three legs. <laughs> um, it's, it's a complete mess. And the reason for it oh. being a complete mess is it wasn't properly thought out, uh, in the beginning. How do the and authorities people feel have messed about it up? In, in the, the Joburg well, and Victoria authorities? Well, right? it's, it's common knowledge that the Joburg and Swanee metros have um, spoken to the Portfolio Committee on Transport and said we want out of this auto nonsense. Mm. But, you know, th- part of why they want out of this auto nonsense is because they want in, back into the Criminal Procedure yes, Act absolutely. nonsense yeah. that they also abuse. Yeah. The fact is that that we wouldn't have this nonsense if the law enforcement authorities actually stuck to what they're supposed to be doing and abided by the laws that apply to them. But unfortunately, we don't have that situation. We have a bunch of uh, of juveniles yeah, who um, like pointing fingers at everybody but themselves. And trust me, when I say juveniles, I'm talking about motorists as well. Mm. This Oak's bitching, excuse the French. He's bitching because he's got himself a fine for more than his wife got. His, yeah. his wife got. Okay. Well, maybe his recollection of time isn't as good as he thinks it is because the city of Cape Town, um, the chief magistrate there, tripled the fines in Cape Town not that long ago. So that that could possibly have oh, really? contributed oh, to okay. it. Mm. Um, but the thing is that, unfortunately, we have 
more than 700 lower courts in this country. And each of those uh, chief magistrates in those, in those um, jurisdictions set the traffic fines, which are applicable to, to those juri- uh, jurisdictions. So, for example, in Joburg, uh, in Ekureleni, the fine for skipping a stop street is 500 rand. In Cape Town, it's 2,000 rand. And that kind of disparity is not a good thing. And let me tell you why it's not a good thing. Because it introduces more and more uncertainty. If you know that you're going to get nailed, like, for example, my brother has just returned um, from Qatar, okay, and is going back there. But the fact is that there, just touching your cell phone is subject to a fine which is equivalent to 2,000 rand. Just touching it whilst you're, you're in your motor car, engine running or not. Mm. So, and people behave themselves there. Here, it's a free-for-all because why? Our traffic law enforcement authorities don't enforce the law properly and people have come to understand this and have said, well, look, I've watched these taxi drivers get away with, with murder. They get away with it. Why shouldn't I? And there yeah, is, is therein the lies your problem. Okay, Howard, we've got three minutes left. Yes. We haven't even touched the surface, but you'll Sorry. be back. It's been so interesting, as always, with you. Uh, Justice Project South Africa is your baby. What are you up to? Uh, what can we, the public, get from you? You've got three minutes to punt yourself because you do a hell of a lot of good work. You're always advising people on road traffic matters. I can, I can, I can tell all our listeners, if there's anything you ever want on road traffic, he's the man to talk to. What, what's your latest project? Well, uh, our latest project still remains the registered mail matter that we have in the Pretoria High Court mm. against the Road Traffic Infringement Agency, the JMPD and the Is Sony that still Metro. ongoing? That's still ongoing. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be very interesting when it's uh, set down. Very However, cool. in, in 30 go seconds, to our yeah. website okay. and join as a member because without member contributions, mm. we cease to exist. Okay, give your website details. www.jp hyphen sa.org and the hyphen folks is the minor sign <laughs> very good Howard lovely to be with you once again and thank you for all the good information we really appreciate it to you our listeners many thanks for being with us and uh, we'll see you next time cheers for now please note that the views expressed and the advice provided in this show are for general advice and entertainment purposes only nothing stated should be treated as a substitute for your own independent legal advice based on your own specific facts and objectives therefore the presenter and cliffcentral.com accept no liability of any nature whatsoever either expressed or implied law like you've never heard it before the laws of life with gary hertzberg on cliffcentral.com Presenting the Attorney's Fidelity Fund and the Attorney's Insurance Indemnity Fund on cliffcentral.com. Your champions in the legal profession. I'm Gary Hertzberg and this is the Laws of Life on cliffcentral.com. Today is the first in a series of shows in which we introduce the Attorney's Fidelity Fund and the Attorney's Insurance Indemnity Fund. And... Uh, Very simply, the goal of these shows is to increase the awareness of the services provided by these organizations and how they serve and protect you.
So the two funds you will hear are committed to ensuring the acceleration of growth in the legal fraternity. And uh, it's for me as a lawyer, great honor to host the two gents today. May I introduce you to them? First up, the Chief Executive Officer of the Attorney's Fidelity Fund. It's Mr. Motlatsi Molefe. And a very warm welcome to you, sir. Thank you, Gary. Also, uh, Managing Director, Attorney's Indemnity Insurance Fund, Mr. Sipo Mbele. Welcome to you, Sipo. Thank you, Gary. May I just mention quickly, Mr. Molefi is an attorney. He has a Management Development Program Certificate from Wits Business School and a Master of Business Administration Degree MBA from Regenesis. Fantastic, gents. Also, uh, Sipo, you hold an MBA and a BSc. Yeah, it's quite strange to have both, business and science, but there you go. Thank you. Great to have you, gents, heading up organizations that are so important to the public and to us lawyers. Let's first of all shoot uh, with you, Mr. Molefe. Uh, let's discuss both funds. Either you're going to discuss both or you'll share it between you. So we have the two attorneys' uh, fidelity fund on the one hand and attorneys' indemnity insurance fund on the other. Please tell us what these funds are. Okay, um, to start with, the Attorney's Fidelity Fund is a creature of statute set up in terms of the Attorney's Act as far back as some 73, 4 years ago, mm. but repeated again in terms of in extending its life um, in the 1979 Act, Chapter 2 thereof, uh, from Section 25 going downwards. But the primary um objective of the Attorney's Fidelity Fund is basically to reimburse members of the public who have been left out of pocket mm. as a result of theft or misappropriation, whichever way you want to put it, that is committed by practitioners in the course of their practice. Our scope is limited specifically to theft. It could be money. It could be any other property that has been entrusted to an attorney. And in terms of the very same act, you also will note that the act empowers the fund to actually set up a vehicle that will provide professional indemnity cover to all practitioners in the country, which was done when the insurance indemnity fund, which SIPO heads, was actually established, I think, in 1993, if I recall very well. Mm. Okay, so we have the two. The first one, Fidelity Fund, is the one if an attorney steals your money, he runs off with your money, then uh, the Fidelity Fund is there to cover you and protect you, and you'll get that money back if it's there legitimately in the hands of a lawyer's trust account having emanated from a legal matter. That is correct. Right. Now we move to you, Sipo, and we talk about the Attorney's Indemnity Insurance Fund, which means that if a lawyer botches a claim, he forgets to uh, whatever, the ma matter prescribes for that matter, the, the, the man in the street is covered. Just explain that in a little more detail for us. Okay. So the, the first thing um, is that the man in the street is covered, uh, but only through a process of uh, of suing the other attorney through another attorney. So, in the uh, unlike the fidelity fund, 
um, in our case, you will only have protection if you approach another lawyer in order to sue him for 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 malpractice that might have happened. Yes. Um, and and the second thing is that we actually limit the benefits that a lawyer could have um, as indemnity for any malpractice that might have happened. And we, uh, depending on the number of partners or directors in the practice of firm, um, we, we will then uh, offer them uh, according to the scale of benefits that we have. So effectively, you will have uh, a, a member of the public approaching one lawyer and then suing the other, and then we then pay the, that claim based on the processes that have uh, been undertaken. Okay, the next question that arises from that really is, does the public have to pay anything for this? And how do these two funds, uh, how do they sustain themselves financially? Okay, I'm going to answer the question of the public and then I'll leave Mutlazi to, to talk to the, to the funding of, uh, of the two uh, organizations. At the moment, the public does not have to pay because uh, of the structure that we have uh, of funding the AIF. Um, what happens is that a um, a an ad, a practicing attorney is automatically covered by virtue of owning or having a fidelity fund certificate that is valid, or at least is supposed to have a, a, a fidelity fund certificate. Um, but the the public does not pay uh, for this PI as such. Okay. I think to answer your question, Gary, it's it's how the Act has structured the whole element of the income of the 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 Atenis Fidelity Fund that is important and that covers both ourselves and the AWIF. Mm-hmm. Firstly, members of the public do not pay directly for any of the services that we offer. We are entitled in terms of the Attenis Act to interest that accrues in a trust account of an attorney. It's diverted to the fund primarily to ensure that the fund remains sustainable throughout. So it's a pooling of resources that emanate from trust accounts of attorneys. But I must make also a particular point. Not all interest emanating from trust accounts held by attorneys come through to the fund. When there is an underlying transaction, for instance, a transfer of property, and you know it's going to take place over a period, say, of three to four months, an attorney is obliged to invest that money in a Section 78-2-A account. So it's a short-term investment. Mm. And that short-term investment, the returns thereof, go directly to the client. But any other that hasn't been invested in that format, the fruits thereof come to the fund. Having said that, from our resources, with each passing year, beginning from the 1st of July to the end of June the following year, we pay over to the AWIF a premium, which is intended to ensure that Whenever there are claims, they are able to meet the claims and actually make sure that no member of the public is left out of pocket. Mm. So what we have seen with the sustainability of the fund in the last few years 
is that with interest rates having dropped to such levels as we see today, our traditional income, which is the receipt of interest from trust accounts, has actually been outstripped by our investment income. Mm -hmm. So our sustainability today is addressed more by our investment income, which is driven by a particularly well-structured investment strategy Mm -hmm. on the one hand, and interest rates. And I'll give you a very simple, I mean, our income is a function of interest rates. Mm -hmm. A very simple example. With the last drop in interest rates, I think it was 25 basis points or so, we talk about a reduction of almost 50 million rands in our income Ooh. at any particular point in time. Sipo, mm. you wanted to add something? Um, I think the, the most important thing, however, that we must keep in mind is that given the funding that the AFF receives, um, uh, and that funding comes out of the fees that clients pay to 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 the practitioners it is important that we it become it, it, it is important that people realize that effectively we are two funds that are funded through public assets yes and and it is for that reason that the two funds are actually NPCs because effectively we are public interest organizations. If for any reason on the insurance side the claim is greater than the amount that you're covering the lawyer for, what happens to that shortfall? In other words, I I have a massive claim against the road accident fund for twenty million yes. and the lawyer forgot to submit my claim and prescribed. How much do you pay? You pay a small percentage of that. We we pay a certain percentage. Again, uh, yeah. it's a structure of the firm. Yeah. Um, the lawyer would be liable to, for the rest. For the rest. Yes. Um, and um, uh, we pay up to a maximum of three point one two five. And then after that, then it is the lawyer's uh, liability that has to. And that's why most big firms and most lawyers have their own professional indemnity for in amount in excess. But generally, you're covering the first amount. We Which covering, is very important. Yeah. We, we cover in the first amount, but yeah. it is also important to, when you look at the structure of PI in, in, the, whole, uh, uh, in the whole country, yes. 95 to 90 to 95% of the times, or in other words, of the hits where there has been a claim, yes. is still paid by this base layer. And consequently, because of that, you find that in South Africa, the top-up insurance, which is the the the, the, the one you're talking about, yes. is uh, comparatively speaking fairly uh, inexpensive in a South African sense. Yes. And people do cover themselves up to a billion rands and sometimes higher. Mm. There's there's big firms that really take those kind of amounts. Mm. But it is important to realize that 90 to 95 percent of the claims in South Africa are still covered. By ourselves. Excellent. Gents, we're running out of time. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to follow up this podcast and we're going to discuss these issues in a little more detail. And uh, questions we're going to talk to you about a little later or next time is what one should look out for when acquiring the services of a lawyer. What should we, as the public, what should we look for? And how the two funds, in effect, support both attorneys and consumers. So we're going to say farewell to you now. 
And uh, we'll be back next week with another podcast. Many thanks for joining us, the two gentlemen from the Attorneys Indemnity Insurance Fund and the Attorneys Fidelity Fund. Yabonga Kakulu. Thank you. Law, like you've never heard it before. The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg on cliffcentral.com. This is cliffcentral.com.